want to invite you to remain standing if you so desire for the reading of God's word. This is Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. Then they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can hear it and read it and, and <clears throat> more than anything though, Lord, transform us by it, please. The Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear now? Would the condition of our heart be, as Jesus put it, uh, good soil, ready to receive your word and have you, again, do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever and so we want to also in response to those words, agree with the scriptures that say that uh, blessed is the one who trembles at your word. So we, we want to tremble. We want to receive it. It's holy. It's from you because it, you are holy. And yet you've got a word for us. And, and so um, reprove, rebuke, exhort us as we need, I ask and pray. And, and uh, thank you again for this day and a chance to be together, celebrate what you've done and who you are what you call us to now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we are in a sermon series, as you see on the screen, called Meals with Jesus. And again, why are we doing this? Well, we all like to eat, generally, I think, as a people, um, and as a church in particular. Um, Daniel mentioned that today, after the service, we're going to uh, enjoy our normal kind of time after and, and pray uh, with Dwayne and our, our snack today, our, our treat, um, because we love Mr. Dwayne. He requested cobbler, and so there's cobbler that several of you made, and so it'll be good. So we like to eat as people. We like to eat as a church, uh, and so why not look at the times when Jesus ate? 
Uh, but there's more to it than that, of course. Um, it's interesting, as I mentioned last week, there are six times in the Gospel of Luke where we have explicitly um, the accounts of Jesus eating. Now, there's probably others. In fact, my kids and I were talking. They said, Dad, are we going to uh, look at the account of uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus? And I started panicking because that's not in my list. And I'm thinking, did I miss a meal? And they were convinced that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house to eat. And as we discovered, the children's Bibles say that, but all it says in the scriptures, it's implied that, that Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. So probably Jesus did want to eat and, and so on, but right, it's never actually said that, that he goes to eat, at least not in Luke, which is where uh, we're, we're spending our, our time. Uh, so again, that may be a seventh one, but we're going to look at the six accounts, the six instances where Jesus ate with people. And as the subtitle of the series says, these are times when a meal was more than food, more than fuel. How many of you had some protein this morning? Just four of us? Okay, more of you, if you're thinking about it. <clears throat> Maybe some of you haven't. We, we need protein. We need fuel. Uh, that's part of, uh, the, of course, the purpose for meals. But as we, as we briefly noted last week, as we started this series, Jesus indicated that his purpose why he came, why he lived the life he lived, why he died the death he died. All of it, he said, Mark 10, 45, was to serve and give his life as a ransom. He said in Luke 19, verse 10, that he came to seek and to save the lost. And then we noted this verse that's on your screen. How did he go about doing it? Well, he preached, he taught, he healed, all of that. But he also came eating and drinking. Jesus was a real human. He was the God-man. And as a real human, he needed to eat, and he needed fuel and protein, but he also knew that there's something that can happen at the table. And so we have these stories, these accounts where Jesus ate with people, and it was more than just a meal. So last week, we were looking at his meal with Levi. What's Levi's other name? Matthew, the tax collector, not the chief tax collector. That's Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. But we don't know if Jesus wanted to eat with him even though the story Bible say so, right? <clears throat> but Levi, Matthew, was a tax collector, and uh, we saw last week that Jesus, he finds sinners like Levi and us. He, he seeks after sinners like us. He, he feasted with Levi, and he feasts with us. He invites us to the table. We're going to get to the table literally this morning. And, and then he... He fulfills his mission in part at the table, and he invites us in as well. And so I asked you last week, you don't have to answer, but just think, have you thought this week about who God might be wanting you to invite over to share a meal with? Who, who, who needs, needs Jesus, and, and who might you be able to invite over, and maybe God will use that, that meal, that, that time across table sharing, that, that God might just use you on mission in the context of a meal, for, for then Jesus to draw those people to himself, to seek and to save, to, to serve and give his life literally as a ransom for them. Uh, so who, who, who is that? I'm going to keep asking you that all summer. <clears throat> Each of these meals begin to have a different point, but I want to keep coming back to that always. Are we living on mission? And we all have to eat, and we all generally enjoy eating, and why not sometimes invite some people in to those meals? Now, as you heard our scripture read this morning, today we look at the meal Jesus ate with his apostles 
on the night before he went to the cross. Often it's called the Last Supper because, of course, this was the last supper or meal that Jesus ate before his arrest and and the the cross. I I like, though, a better title than Last Supper. I I saw this as I studied, um, and it's in the Christian Standard Bible. Of course, most of you know I preach out of the ESV, the English Standard, um, but another great translation that's new-ish in the last, I don't know, five to ten years is called CSB, Christian Standard Bible, and, and they have headings like most of our Bibles do, and their heading for this meal isn't the Last Supper, but it's the First Lord's Supper, and I like that, the First Lord's Supper. Now, sometimes we call that meal communion. Uh, so another question for you, and this time I do want you again to answer. Why do we call it communion? Anybody know? Why is the Lord's Supper meal sometimes, and often I will call it communion? Geo? Yeah, good, good. Yeah. You both are spot on. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, not verse 164, but verse 16, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, the cup of blessing that we bless, speaking of the communion or Lord's Supper cup, is it not a participation? That's the underlying Greek word there is koinonia. You may have heard that. Mostly we think of that as fellowship, but it can also be translated communion. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a communion fellowship in the blood of Christ? It is. The bread we break, is it not a communion fellowship participation in the body of Christ? And so exactly spot on. We, we commune, we have fellowship with God because of what he did in the life of his son, especially Jesus' work of going to the cross and paying for our sins, all of that. And so it allows us to commune, to fellowship. And so this meal reminds us of our, of our union, our communion, our fellowship, our participation that's ours if we're in Christ um, and our connectedness to one another. It is a, a church family meal. More on that in a little bit, uh, most definitely. Um, so... Uh, in fact, just while we're talking about names, so it's called the Lord's Supper um, and uh, communion. Um, I read this week, some groups call it the breaking of bread. I guess one of the ways to describe the meal. Um, how many of you have heard the term Eucharist? Not just when Daniel mentioned it. Okay, so Eucharist, probably if you've heard it called by that name, it's, it's from a Roman Catholic connection. But again, that's because the word means Thanksgiving and Jesus is going to give thanks for this meal, and so Roman Catholic theology picked up that word to refer to the meal. Uh, so again, it means um, all of those different things, uh, but we typically call it the Lord's Supper or Communion, and we typically, as a church, celebrate it together on the first Sunday of the month. Anybody know what today is? It's my anniversary, yes, but it's also the first Sunday of the month, and so yes, we are going to celebrate this meal together. And so it seemed fitting <clears throat> to skip over three other meals. Um, there, there's not any more after Luke 22, but we're going to come back. And so uh, it seemed fitting to jump from where we were last week in the early chapters to chapter 22 to look at this meal on the day that we enjoy this meal together. And so kind of a, a preview of where we're headed today. As we, as we kind of dive a little deeper 
into this meal, we're going to see that Jesus is instituting, he's giving us this new meal. It's different than what his followers, God's followers, had been celebrating for years and years and years prior. Uh, It's for us to observe and to remember, ready, our salvation. That's really, if we want to summarize what are we doing when we have this meal together, we are remembering our salvation. We're observing it as a, as a reminder that, like, again, Daniel pointed out, we are saved by grace. We come thankful because we don't deserve it, but God does it. So three movements today. We're going to look at the background and context of this first Lord's Supper. We're going to note really the meaning and purpose of it beyond just that of remembering our salvation. And then we're going to celebrate the meal together. So if you haven't already, I would invite you uh, to turn to Luke 22, uh, again, not chapter 5, pardon my uh, typos on the slides. Uh, So Luke 22, beginning at verse 7, but we will take a look at the first Lord's Supper. And again, I want to keep reminding you, bring a Bible. I hear them being turned, um, and if you're digitally swiping, that's great too, but um, I want you to have a copy of the Scriptures. And if you need one ever, uh, we put a few of them out, and you can always grab one of those. So Luke 22, beginning at verse 7, and the first thing we need to do is uh, talk about uh, the background and the context to this meal. So in in verses 7 through 18, we we have the kind of the setup for when and where and how and what was going on for Jesus to give this first Lord's Supper. So again, what is the context of that? So notice uh, chapter 22, beginning at verse 7. Luke writes, then came the day of unleavened bread. So just real quick, we want to, the day of unleavened bread. Okay, jump back up to chapter 22, verse 1, just again for context. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near. And then Luke helps us who might not know what that is. And he says, this feast of unleavened bread is called the Passover. Okay, so in some ways we could think, Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover are, are the same thing. Generally, they are, but, but it, it goes like this. Uh, the day of unleavened bread, bread marked the beginning of the festival of unleavened bread, which was then followed by the Passover meal. So Passover meal starts this week-long festival, this week-long celebration. It was a seven-day festival. Leviticus 23 specifies that God's people were to uh, observe this this feast, this festival, and it begins with Passover. What is Passover? Well, let's remember, this was a Jewish festival celebration that specifically and explicitly was about celebrating that historical event in the book of Exodus when God rescued his people from slavery out of Egypt. How did he do it? Well, he sent a bunch of plagues. Uh, You can remember Uh, If you've seen the Prince of Egypt or you've read your Bible, okay, you remember um, God rescued his people. There were all these plagues. And the final plague was, of course, the death of the firstborn in every family, unless, of course, um, a family had killed a lamb in the firstborn's place and then marked, you know, the entrance to their home with that, that blood. And in that case, the the angel of death would pass over the home. So, so just, I mean, we just studied Hebrews not too long ago, and remember, 
the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, right? So I think we all kind of still remember. That's what Passover is celebrating, that God many years in the past rescued his people out of Egypt, and he did it by having them slaughter, kill a lamb, and the blood of that lamb being put over the home would have then the angel of death pass over and go um, and then pass judgment, kill uh, the other firstborn. And so, of course, you, you're familiar with the story. There was wailing in Egypt as a lot of children died and, um, of course, mostly the Egyptians. Um, and then God was ready to rescue his people. Back to the feast that God set up after all this. The feast then is this week-long festival of unleavened bread, a week-long festival, which again starts at Passover. And, and the Israelites now, uh, in this feast, they don't eat any bread made with yeast because, again, God told them, be ready, have bread not made with yeast. What does yeast do? It, it causes bread to rise, and it takes time. They needed to make unleavened bread so they could, in a sense, go in a hurry and flee uh, and, and be rescued from slavery in Egypt. And so they are to remember this whole thing, this miraculous rescue God did. And so it's this feast of unleavened bread the whole week. It begins with Passover. Now back to Luke 22, verse 7. So this day of unleavened bread has come. It's the start of it. And in our timeline of the life of Jesus, this is um, Thursday night of what we think of as Passion Week, Holy Week. And that was the beginning of that week-long feast. And uh, so this day had, had come um, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And again, scholars note for us that uh, this meal had to be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 16 specifies that. It says in verse 8, uh, Jesus sent Peter and John into town, and he said to them, go and prepare the Passover. So again, there was stuff that had to be done. The, the, they had to take a lamb to the temple. It had to be uh, slaughtered and killed. And then they had to come back and set this whole thing up, roasting the meal, preparing a table. I mean, there was a lot to be done. And, and Jesus says to him, go into the town. Um, verse 9, you will, um, sorry, verse 8. They said, where will you have us prepare it? Verse 9, he said, verse 10, behold, when you have entered the city, you're going to see a man carrying a jar of water. We'll just pause there for a second. That would have seemed unusual for them in, in this context. Um, it would have been typically women that were going out with jars to fill water. So there's going to be lots of women moving around filling jugs with water. And so Jesus says, you're going to look for a man that's got a jar. Uh, and you're going to go up to this man. You're going to follow him uh, to the house that he enters, and then you're going to tell, verse 11, the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. So Peter and John have work to do on this, this day. They've got to get the, the lamb at the temple, have it slaughtered. They've got to come back and roast and do all the stuff. Meanwhile, find this man carrying a jar, follow him. And, and we don't know exactly. This is one of those, you know, little add this to your list of, you know, 304 questions you want to ask God one day. Did Jesus set this all up? And that's why this guy is going to be there. Like sometime, you know, when he had a day off, you know, or 
did he miraculously do it? And it was just all going to miraculously happen. Either way, um, whether it was just a complete miracle or if Jesus set it up uh, beforehand, it's clear he, he didn't want to be interrupted. And by, by now in the timeline of Jesus, he, people want to interrupt him. People want to find him, and they want to kill him. They're done with him. After three years of his preaching and teaching, uh, his, his you know, disrespecting in their mind the Sabbath, his claiming to be God, uh, they're done with him. They're done with him. But this meal is that important to Jesus that he makes sure, again, whether by a miracle or literally preparing some things ahead of time, that as Peter and John go in, they're going to find this guy and they're going to get to this room and it's going to be prepared and they will get to have this first, last supper together. Um, let's keep going. So verse 13, they went and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. Verse 14, and when the hour came, so, so now it's, it's evening time, he reclined at table. So here they are, they're, they're having this Passover meal. I'm sure they were recounting what God had done in the Exodus, uh, all of that. They, it appears the way the text unfolds that they have the meal, and then after the meal, Jesus shows them that there's something more now, though, that's about to come. But here's, here's what I want you just to kind of observe, and I'm going to um, kind of skip over this quickly, and we'll kind of then come back into the text as we get into the meaning and whatnot of, of the meal but, but two things, and, and this was great. This was summarized by one writer. There's a sense of something coming to an end, and there's a sense of something beginning. Okay? As Jesus is about to teach and unfold this first Lord's Supper, there's a sense of something coming to an end and a sense of something beginning. So keep that in mind. Verse uh, 15. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So something is coming to an end, namely celebrating the Passover meal for God's people, right? Now, of course, uh, Jewish people still do, but for Jews and Gentiles who are now part of the church, the new man, this new entity made up of Jew, Gentile, people from every nation, we don't celebrate Passover meal the way they did that night so far. We are about to do something new. So something is coming to an end. Strictly remembering God's deliverance from Egypt, that's in the past. Because as we're going to see with this new thing that's coming, this first Lord's Supper, uh, what Jesus is going to show clearly is that that meal, that meal was pointing forward. That meal was to get God's people ready for this meal. Passover, the deliverance, the blood, the blood that covers, the blood that allows the angel of death to pass over and not judge, right? All of that points to Jesus, the once-for-all sacrifice, everything we studied in the book of Hebrews. So something is coming to an end, 
he acknowledges that this meal uh, is, is going to end, and he's not going to eat it and, and drink again until he returns. And that, again, points to this, this new thing. So looking again at the text, verse 19, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, there's that word Eucharist, given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. And then here are these words. Do this in remembrance of me. And so that is the new thing, that now this meal is in remembrance of Jesus. It's not a remembrance of Exodus and the deliverance from uh, the Egyptians. It's in remembrance of Jesus. The first Lord's Supper was a remembering of Passover along with a transition to remembering Jesus and what Passover was pointing toward. Well, that as context and background brings us then to um, the meaning and purpose of the Lord's Supper. So let me reread verses 19 and 20. And Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So, the meaning and purpose of the Lord's Supper. So there's a lot in those two verses and there's a lot that we learn from as well. But what I want us today as we're looking at this meal, again, when it was more than food, right? This, this meal that, again, honestly, most first Sundays, uh, we, we have a full sermon in some other place and then like in three to five minutes, I'll do a quick reading of probably the Apostle Paul's words from 1 Corinthians and then we just kind of do it. And that's not necessarily bad, but I think it's good today to just devote our whole time of, of thinking to this meal so that maybe next month or the month after that or six months down the road, when, when we get to the meal and we get to our, our friendly uh, communion COVID cups, uh, or one day if we outgrow these, um, we'll, we'll, we'll understand that, wow, this, this meal, big deal. Jesus made sure Everything was set up because he, he didn't want to be interrupted. It was all to, to, so that he could have this time to, to explain this first Lord's Supper. So a few things I want us to remember and highlight. So the first is uh, this, this meal, notice it, it's, it's mandated by Jesus, right? That's why we call it the Lord's Supper, and, and we call it an ordinance. Um, some traditions, sacraments and and Sacrament, ordinance, it, it, they can be used synonymously. Um, I prefer ordinance because it reminds us that this was ordained, ordered by Jesus. And so here it is, right here, right? He, he does this with the apostles, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle Paul later in 1 Corinthians says that he received from the Lord. So, so Jesus specifically told him about this meal and the implication is tell other churches to do this. And so there are some traditions, they celebrate the meal every week. I'm just curious, raise your hand if you have been part of a church that weekly celebrates the Lord's Supper. Several of you, that's, that's good. So that's 
uh, as well, something that happens sometime. So Jesus mandated that this meal happen. Now, just briefly, he also mandated uh, baptism. And so um, in Luke, or excuse me, Matthew 28, um, um, famous passage we call the Great Commission. Again, that's kind of our heading over those verses. But Jesus uh, says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And so I want you, my people, to go and to baptize and to teach. And, and the main verb, though, between or over, go, baptize, and teach, he says, make disciples. That means help people begin and grow in following me. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. By the way, that's why you're supposed to be thinking of who can you invite to a meal that, that needs to become a disciple and that God needs to draw and save, but, but how might God use you to make disciples by having a meal, right? We're to go and, and make disciples, help people begin and grow in following Jesus. And once people begin to follow Jesus, they're to be baptized. It's been a while since we've done a baptism. We have not done a baptism since we've been back in this building. And this building has a big pool or baptismal tank, uh, right back there. And uh, so let this be sort of the first announcement, by the way. If you have not been baptized and, and you're a Christian, so you, you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple, he's ransomed you, saved you, forgiven you of your sins, um, but you have yet to obey that command to be baptized, that ordinance, uh, I would invite you to come talk to me and let's, let's get a baptism in that tank scheduled. And that would be really cool to do that. Um, so talk to me if, if you have yet to be baptized or if you have questions and, and we can um, definitely prepare uh, for that. So baptism is the other ordinance mandated by, by the Lord, okay? But we are thinking about this morning uh, the Lord's Supper, and it begins on this night before his death. Now, now the purpose, so that's, it's an ordinance. It's ordained by Jesus, but, but the purpose, okay? Uh, these words that I'm about to quote, they're from our statement of faith as a church, um, which is not the Bible, but it's, it's a summary of the different teachings of the Bible. And so in our statement of faith on the church, as we kind of work through it, it says that the ordinances visibly and tangibly express the gospel. So baptism, and I always like to just remind you, uh, imagine uh, someone here, it's an invisible person, uh, but they're, they're next to me and let's pretend we're in the water. So, so a couple things go on in baptism. The person's dry and, and they go into the water and that visibly is a picture of Jesus from the cross being buried and then they come up and they're wet and they look a little different, kind of new, and it's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus. So baptism visibly uh, and tangibly uh, declares, shows the good news. Of course, uh, baptism also is representing uh, us being washed outwardly. Water washes us away, and that's a picture of the sins that are forgiven when Jesus saves us. So, so baptism visibly and tangibly um, expresses the gospel. And communion elements visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Jesus took bread and he, he broke it. And he gave it to his apostles on that night. And he 
He said, you're going to take and you're going to eat this in remembrance of me. And, and this is to remind you of my body that's about to go to the cross. And he took wine or juice and he, he poured it and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. And he says, take it and drink this. It represents the new covenant. Not, not the old anymore, lamb after lamb after lamb every year, but once for all, my blood poured out for you. And so when you take that and you drink, you, you remember. And so the elements visibly, tangibly, we smell them. I do anyway right now. Okay. Um, they, they display, they declare, they express the gospel, the good news of our salvation. St. Augustine famously said um, that the ordinances are visible words. That's a good quote, visible words. These elements are visible words. We eat, we drink. These, and again, in baptism, we're washed, so to speak, phys physically um, experiencing a picture of the gospel. Uh, and, and this is why this meal should be a celebration. Now, for us, the, the loss of a loved one isn't a celebration, right? We, we grieve because someone we know and love is not with us anymore. I, I sat yesterday um, on an ordination council for a friend and um, several of us that were on this council, we asked him different questions, you know, about theology and the Bible and, and, and so forth. And um, one of the things that, that I asked, I want to make sure he knows, because uh, I think it's clear in the scriptures, uh, is that for a believer, for someone who's a Christian, who's a disciple, all the same, what happens when they die? And uh, the Apostle Paul says twice in Philippians 1 and then in 2 Corinthians 5, summary, he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we die, if we're Christians, our soul goes to the presence of the Lord. Of course, on the, at the cross, one of the thieves next to him um, believed on him. And uh, if you remember, they didn't stop and ask to be taken down so that the thief could go get baptized and, and then they put him back. No, of course not. Uh, from the cross, Jesus says to this one thief who believes tonight, today, you'll be with me in paradise. To be, to be dead is to be absent from the body. And for the Christian, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that we... Grieve when someone dies, not as those who have no hope. Because our hope is in resurrection. That Jesus died and rose, and, and we are with him. If we, if we die, and one day we will be united, and, and we'll experience that resurrection. And, and so in Philippians, Paul says, he doesn't know what to choose. He, he knows he's going to die soon, and he says, I'm hard-pressed. On the one hand, I want to go and be with Jesus. That's far better. But on the other hand, to be here means ministry and, and so forth. And, and, and so it's this weird thing. 
for us, we don't celebrate the loss of someone we love except the death of Jesus. We do celebrate. Because he didn't stay dead. We, we know the end of the story. Now, the apostles, and you know the story, they, they can't understand. Jesus has been explaining to them that he's going to do this, that he's got to go to the cross, and, and they argue with him, and, and no, no, may it never be. And, and, and then it happens. He's arrested, and he's beaten, and, and he, he's eventually put on the cross, and they run away because their hopes are destroyed. They, they just didn't have categories for it. But on the third day, on the Lord's day, on that Sunday, he rose. The tomb was empty. And then they understood, and, and, and so since then, first day of the week, the Lord's Day, it's the day he rose, it's the day we remember, we celebrate that, yes, he died, but he rose. And so this death, this person's death, is a celebration. It's a celebration because his death means our salvation. His death is the gospel. It's his body broken for the forgiveness of sin, his blood poured out, and the, new, the new covenant in his blood, the once-for-all sacrifice. These elements, they aren't, uh, they don't save us. We don't, we don't receive salvation by eating and drinking, nor do we get saved by being baptized, but, but they are means of grace. That is, we're, we're nourished when we come to the table and we, we celebrate and we remember that he died for me and he rose and, and his blood covers me and his blood has washed me. And it's a joyous thing. They're not salvation, but they're a means of grace. And we are to, to come and to celebrate and to enjoy this meal. So today, for the first time in a long time, we're going to do something that we haven't done in a while. Um, you should not have received one of these when you came in today. Um, I've got uh, Rich and Dan. They are going to stand and hand you a basket like the old days. And, and you can take um, a cup um, and then pass the basket down and then they'll help get it to the row behind if need be. But here's why I'm doing this as it's coming. Back to what, what Chris and Gio said at the start. See, this is a communion, yes, with the Lord if we're in Christ. And by the way, listen, uh, th this is a meal for God's sons and daughters. This is a family meal if you're a Christian. Um, if you're not, if you're not sure, um, I, I would encourage you, you, feel free to take this and you can just hold it and you can you know, think about it. But, um, but this is a meal for those who have been uh, forgiven by Jesus, whose blood washes them and whose body died for them. So, right, it's, it's communion with Jesus, but... The reason the baskets today, this old way, is because it's meant to be like this is something we do together. Like this is a family meal. And, and again, I know there's reasons why we went to these and, and so forth. Um, but when we're done with these here in the next, I don't know, however many months worth of these I have, um, we might go back even to the older way um, where... We, we take or something. We'll, we'll figure that out. We've got a month at least. Uh, but, but I hope just even in a little way, passing the basket today, uh, have, having someone 
handed to you and you hand it over. Remind you that this is communion within the body. This is, this is our family meal. This is communion with the Lord Jesus. This is a celebration that we do together. And it's a preview, don't forget that, of Jesus' return. Right? We, we remember what he did for us in the past. And, and we'll save this next point for a further sermon one day, another thing. But, but he is present with us, not in the way that Roman Catholics believe, I don't think, nor even in the way Lutherans think. Um, these elements don't change into his body and blood. But in a spiritual way, he is present. And this is why this, this meal nourishes us. We remember, not just to remember that he did it and died and not just to remember that he's coming, but, but, but he's present. He's present in a spiritual way. So let's, let's take the bread side. Peel that back and And let's take and eat this together. And let's take the other side, peel back the wine, the juice, its juice. And let's drink together. In this first Lord's Supper, Jesus is declaring, making it clear that the death he's about to die the next day it is the greater final act of salvation that the Exodus was pointing to. The Exodus from Egypt was a defining act for God's people. It was an act of salvation under the old covenant. And that Passover was the way that God's people remembered. They had this meal and this week-long feast. But Jesus now wants his people to remember the greater sacrifice of himself who is the true Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And with his once-for-all sacrifice, it's the arrival of that new covenant. And that's what we celebrate in this, this meal together. So Father in heaven, thank you for the first Lord's Supper. Thank you for Jesus making sure that you could have that meal with his apostles, not just for their benefit, but so that he could instruct them and, and then provide instruction for us so that we can, whether it's monthly or weekly, celebrate and remember this meal together. And we thank you for a time today to, to focus a bit more, to linger over this meal than we typically do. And I pray it has nourished us. I pray that we are inside celebrating the gospel, our salvation. I, I pray that you are meeting us in a special way, subjectively, spiritually right now through this meal and, and that it would nourish and, and confirm our, our trust and faith in you until we eat it again as a church in a month and until you return. And so we join the church for the last 2,000 years that says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, and we want you to come. So we get to eat that meal with you again. And until you do, we'll remember, we'll celebrate. Thank you. Thank you for your love. 
for us. Demonstrated most specifically and especially in this meal. In Jesus' name.